Well, good morning. I, I'm glad that you're here today, and it's a good day for you to come because today we're starting a brand new series, a three-week series on the holiness of God. Uh, this is probably one of the most misunderstood and probably one of the most neglected characteristics of God is His holiness. I mean, what comes to your mind when you hear the word holiness? What does that word holiness stir up in your mind? Many Christians have kind of a, what I would say is a distorted view of holiness. My earliest image of holiness were the people who lived two houses up the street from us when I was growing up. They had a Pentecostal holiness church in their basement. So on summer evenings, the whole neighborhood could hear the services. The whole neighborhood could hear all everything that they were saying and doing and, and yelling. And that kind of holiness scared me as a young boy. And then some Christians see holiness as unrealistic and maybe even irrelevant. Uh, maybe you had legalistic parents as you were growing up and, or you grew up in a legalistic type church and you see holiness kind of as a holier-than-thou attitude and you don't have a lot of use for that. There's lots of distorted views on holiness uh, that, that hinder our understanding of God's holiness. So today and next couple of Sundays after today, we're going to try as best we can to get a biblical understanding of God's amazing holiness. Now, there's several reasons why I think it's good for us to do this. Now, one of the reasons that we need to understand God's holiness is we tend to take sin too lightly. We tend to justify, rationalize our own sin. Now, we may not take your sin lightly. We may criticize you and condemn you for your sin, but we, we all tend to kind of take our sin a little too lightly. But Billy Graham made a great statement one day when he said, only when we understand the holiness of God will we understand the depth of our sin. So one of the reasons we need to spend a few Sundays looking at the holiness of God is so that we won't take our sin too lightly. Another reason I think it's good for us to have this series and study this topic is because we tend to misunderstand salvation. Without the holiness of God, sin has no meaning and grace has no point. Without the holiness of God, what are we being saved from? We, we misunderstand sometimes what salvation is all about. And, and if you understand the holiness of God, you'll understand how desperately you need a Savior. The third reason we're going to be looking at this topic in this series is that we tend to reduce God to fit our lifestyle, don't we? We tend to reduce God to something that we can manage. I heard this week a pastor said that he was talking to a lady who was involved in an affair. And she said, well, pastor, I just want you to know, I know God's a loving God. And I just, I've talked to the Lord about this, and I know that because God has got to love and because God wants me happy, I know that He approves of what I'm doing right now, so I'm absolutely at peace in this affair. You see what she's done? She's shrunk God to her level. She's tried to make God fit her lifestyle. And we all do that from time to time. Maybe not to that level, maybe not to that degree, but we all have that tendency to try to reduce God to fit our lifestyle. But I want you to know something. God is a holy God. And you cannot and will not be able to reduce him to fit your lifestyle. Now, thankfully, there is a chapter in the Bible that deals with the holiness of God and how it affects our lives. And that chapter is in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. Would you open God's Word to Isaiah, chapter 6? 
perhaps the greatest scripture in all the Bible on the subject of God's holiness. Here's what we see in Isaiah chapter 6. God allowed Isaiah to peek into the heavenly throne room and to get a glimpse of his holiness like no other human being has ever done. And Isaiah, when he got a glimpse of God's holiness, was shaken to the core of his being as he truly understood the holiness of God. Now, I'm just going to summarize the verses before I read them to you. This is not my outline, but it's just a summary of what we're going to be reading. In verses 1 through 4, Isaiah tells us what he saw when he got this glimpse of God. So verses 1 through 4, he tells us what he saw. Verses 5 through 7, Isaiah tells us what he said in response to what he saw. Verses 5 through 7, Isaiah tells us what he said in response to what he saw. And in verse 8, Isaiah tells us what he heard God say. What he heard God say. So in Isaiah 6, God invites us through Isaiah's eyes to view and respond to God's holiness. Let's read chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you'd help us to understand this text about your holiness. God, who am I? Who am I that I would be able to try to explain that which I have never encountered? Who am I? I'm just a sinful man. Who am I that I could talk about your holiness? And so we pray for the Holy Spirit to speak. We pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you'd open our eyes, open our heart, open our mind. And we have a better grasp, just like Isaiah did. May we have a, have a better grasp, a better understanding of your holiness. May, may we act accordingly because of what we have encountered and understood. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. The date was 740 B.C. 740 B.C. Probably doesn't mean a whole lot to you. But in 740 B.C., something happened that was a, a, a marker for the people of God. You see, that was the year that King Uzziah died. Uzziah, King Uzziah, had been a fixture in Israel for 52 years. 52 years he had been the only king of that country. So for, for everybody that was 50 years of age and younger, that's the only king they'd ever known. 52 years. Now, I figured it up this week. I looked it up. Over the last 52 years, we've had 10 U.S. presidents. Uh, let's see how many you remember. I remember nine of the ten. I, I lived through nine. Well, I lived through all of them, but I didn't remember the first one. <clears throat> um, the first one, 52 years ago, the, the president was Johnson. He's the one I didn't remember. And then after Johnson was who? Nixon. And after Nixon was Ford, and after Ford was Carter, after Carter was Reagan, and then after Reagan was Bush number one, and then there was Clinton, and then there was Bush number two, and then there was Obama, and then there was Trump. You see, every four to eight years, we've gotten a new leader over the last 52 years. We've had ten leaders over the last 52 years. But for the people of God, they had one, Uzziah. 
He had been their leader for 52 years. And for the most part, he was a good and godly leader. For the most part, it was a good, peaceable, prosperous time under his leadership. For the most part, he was the kind of leader Israel needed. But as Uzziah grew in power, he also grew in pride. In fact, 2 Chronicles 26.16 says, After Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. So in arrogance one day, let me tell you what he did. In arrogance one day, he decided because he's king, because he's been around so long, because he's so powerful and so important, he decided one day to go into the temple and burn incense on his own behalf. Rather than let the priests burn incense for him, who are they to burn incense for me? I'm Uzziah. I am the king of Israel. So he decided against the counsel of 81 different priests who tried to talk him out of it, he decided to go into the temple of God and burn incense on his own accord, on his own behalf. And when he went into the temple of God, God immediately struck him with leprosy and he died a painful death. Now, in that same year, after Uzziah died, when the throne was essentially empty, God gave Isaiah a vision, a special vision. We're not told if he was awake or asleep when he had this vision. And we're not told if he was in the temple or if he had a vision of the temple. But what we are told is this, Isaiah was supernaturally allowed to see the very throne room of God. Look what it, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne. This is the starting point for understanding the holiness of God. Can I state the obvious? Here's point number one. Can I state the obvious? Point number one is this. God's holiness means that God is different from us. How different is He? Well, look at the word that Isaiah used to describe God. He said, I saw the Lord. Now, notice how it's spelled. Capital L, small case R, small case case O, small case R-D. Now, if you look down at verse 3, you'll see the word Lord again, except this time you'll see that that all the letters are capitalized. Capital L-O-R-D. Why is that? Well, let me tell you something about the Hebrew language. When you see Lord in all caps, like in verse 3, it's referring to God's covenant name. We would call it Yahweh, Yahweh. That's God's covenant name, Yahweh. But, In verse 1, when you see Lord, capital L, little O-R-D, it's referring not to God's name, it's referring to God's position. It's referring to his position as ruler over everything. So here's what Isaiah was saying. In the year that King Uzziah died, I had a vision and I saw the Lord, the ruler over everything, the great king who is sovereign over everything, I saw him seated on his throne. And then not only is he supreme, he's also exalted. Because it says in verse 1, he was seated on a throne, high and exalted. I love the fact that even though Uzziah's throne was empty, God's throne was not. He was seated on the throne. Would you note that? He was seated on the throne. He was not walking around, wringing his hands, saying, I don't know what I'm going to do over Uzziah now. No, he was seated on the throne. He wasn't wringing his hands. He was seated and settled and he was in control. No one in heaven, watch this, no one in heaven seems to be upset about Uzziah's death. No one in heaven seems to be worried about Uzziah's death. And here's the reason. Because God Almighty was seated on the throne and he was in control. 
And can I say to you with the pastor's heart, I don't know what you're going through, but I do know this. God is still seated on the throne and He is still in control. Look at verse 2. Above Him, above this God who is seated on the throne, this vision that Isaiah had, above Him were seraphs, angelic beings. This is the only place in Scripture where they're mentioned. Above them were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces because God was so holy they could not even look at Him. And with two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the thresholds shook the temple and was shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Can I tell you the second thing about God's holiness? God's holiness means that God is absolutely pure and perfect. God's holiness means that God is absolutely pure and perfect. You know, in the English language, we we have several ways to emphasize something when, when we're writing. We can place, if we want to emphasize a word or an idea, we can place it in italics. Uh, we can underline it. We can put it in bold print. We can capitalize every letter of the word. Uh, we can use exclamation mark. There's lots of different ways to emphasize something in the English language. But for the Jews, if they wanted to emphasize something, they used repetition. They would say the same thing twice in order to emphasize something. For example, Jesus, who was a Jew, sometimes would say, truly, truly. It was his way of emphasizing something. It was his way of saying, this is important. When he wanted to make a point, when he wanted to emphasize something, he would, he would say the word twice, truly, truly. Now, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, we see a repetition of words, don't we? But they're not mentioned twice. They're mentioned three times. You see the repetition there, holy, holy. Holy. Now, to mention something three times in succession in the Hebrew language is to elevate it to a superlative degree. To mention something three times in succession like that is to give it an emphasis of super importance. In fact, only once in the entire Bible is an attribute of God elevated to the third degree. Only once. Only once is a characteristic of God mentioned three times in succession. And the Bible says, holy, holy, holy is God. You see, it's not just that He is holy, nor is He merely holy, holy. The only place in Scripture where we see this three times emphasized is right here, and God is holy, holy, holy. Ladies and gentlemen, that is extremely important. The Bible never says that God is love, love, love. The Bible never says that God is mercy, mercy, mercy. The Bible never says that God is faithful, faithful, faithful. Now, He is all of those things, but the Bible never emphasizes that. No, the Bible does say, though, God is holy, 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 and the whole world is filled with His glory. So look at verse 3. Holy, and, and they were calling together or calling to one another. 
these seraphs were calling to one another and they were saying to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And at the sound of their voices, look what happened. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah stood there stunned and silent, shaken to the core as he was introduced to the holiness of God. You know what the word holy means, by the way? In the Hebrew language, do you understand what that word holy really means? Let me show you. Here's what the word holy literally means. The Hebrew word holy literally means to cut. To cut or to separate. That's what the word means. We think think holy means sinless. And the sinlessness is definitely a part of that. But literally, the word means to cut or separate. The word implies that God is above us, that God is different from all that He created, that there is a a separateness in God, that there is a sacredness in God, there is a a set-apartness. He's set apart. He's different from us. You see, watch this, ladies and gentlemen. God's not just better than us. God is different than us. That's what the word holy implies. That there's a cutting, there's a, a separation. He's absolutely pure. He's absolutely perfect. He is completely set apart from sin. He is flawless. He is unblemished. He is perfect purity. He is different than us. You see, that can't be said about you or me, can it? Can it be said about you that you're absolutely perfect? Can it be said about you that you're absolutely unblemished? Can it be said about you that you're flawless? Can it be said about you that you have perfect purity? No. Absolutely not. Nor can it be said that about me. In fact, let me tell you what is said about us. In this same book, Isaiah, go to chapter 64. Isaiah chapter 64. Isaiah 64, verse 6. All of us. Would you say that phrase? All of us. How many? Verse 6. All of us have become like one who is what? Unclean. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. We can understand that this fall season, can't we? The leaf falls down and it it shrivels up. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. That's who you are. That's who I am. The Bible says in Romans, there's none righteous, no, not one. All of us, our righteousness is like filthy rags. That's why, look up here, ladies and gentlemen. That's why the word holy means to cut There's a separateness between us and God. God is different from us. God is flawless and unblemished and perfect in His purity. In fact, Isaiah's favorite name for God is the Holy One of Israel. Now, some people think that that God's love is His central and defining characteristic. That if you had to boil it all down and say, what's, what's the main characteristic of God? Some people say God's love is His main central characteristic, but I, I beg to differ. I don't believe that. 
You see, if love was at the very center of God's nature, then he could welcome us into heaven without the atoning death of his son. God is love. I don't deny that. But I think the central characteristic of God, the defining characteristic of God is his holiness. Because the only place in Scripture where we see His characteristic defined three times is here in this text, emphasizing His holiness. God's holiness demands that sin be paid for, and His love compelled Him to pay the price Himself. And that's what we'll talk about next week, Lord willing. Let's go back to Isaiah 6 for a moment. And I want you to see how Isaiah responded to God's holiness. Isaiah chapter 6 Verse 5, Isaiah's watching all of this, and finally he had to say something. Here's what he said, verse 5. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah, as he speaks, he says, woe to me. Literally, the word woe means calamity has fallen or is about to fall on me. Calamity has fallen. Isaiah was saying basically this. Here's Shorter's translation. Isaiah was saying, that's God? That's what He's like? That's the standard? That's how high the bar is set? If that's God, then I'm toast. I'm a dead man. I've got no way that I can respond to him. Perhaps Isaiah remembered the words of the psalmist when David said in Psalm 130, If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? Who could stand? So Isaiah says, I'm toast. Woe is me. I'm a dead man. As he looks at the holiness of God. Which brings me to point number three, if you're taking notes. Point number three is this. The closer you get to God, the closer you see yourself as you really are. The closer you get to God, the closer you see yourself as you really are. A.W. Tozer said, when you talk about the holiness of God, you have not only the problem of trying to grasp it intellectually, but also a sense of personal vileness, which is almost too much to bear. Beth Moore said this, she said, The light of God's glory shines two ways. It sheds light on the knowledge of God so we can see Him more clearly, but it also sheds light on us so we see our sin more clearly. Now here's the interesting thing. Prior to this vision, Isaiah spent five chapters telling people to repent. Prior to this vision, Isaiah spent the first five chapters pointing to people's sin. Prior to this chapter, Isaiah was prophesying that the people needed to turn back to God, focusing on the sins of others and calling them to repentance. And now that he finds himself in the very presence of holy God, he became dramatically aware of his own sin, of his own need, of his own unrighteousness. He says in verse 5, I am a sinful man. I, I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among people of unclean lips. What did he mean by that? Well, the word unclean means defiled, polluted. I'm a man of polluted lips, defiled lips. And I think he means more than there are things that come across my mouth that ought not come across my mouth. 
probably that was true, but I think he was saying something deeper. The context would suggest that Isaiah and his people were basically a people of lip service, that they knew the right words, but what they were saying did not match their lifestyle. And Isaiah, as he looked at, at God in his holiness and as he looked his, at his own life, he recognized how, fall, how far short he falls from God's holiness and how even far short he has fallen from his own profession. That he talks a good religious game, but he's not living it. It's interesting, in the most intense, dramatic worship experience of his life, Isaiah's attention is drawn to his own sin. And I want you to see what happens now because only a holy God can do what we're about to read about. Look at verse 6. After in verse 5, he says, woe to me. Verse 6, God does what only God can do. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth, and he said, see, this has touched your lips. Watch this. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. That's what you want to be said about you, isn't it? Your guilt has been taken away. Your sin is atoned for. You see, a couple of things are really important right there. I wish we had time to dig into it. But number one, God took the initiative in this, in this experience. It, God took the initiative. And by the way, we'll talk about this next week. God always takes the initiative in our salvation experience. God, even though He is holy, He looks down at us when we are sinful, and God takes the initiative to do for us what only He could do. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. And then for the first time in the text, God speaks. In verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Notice the word us. It's a reference to the Trinity. Who will go for us? And who will I send? God asks. <laughs> and I love, I love this, I love this. Because Isaiah suddenly burst out. Here am I, send me. Why is he so quick to volunteer? I believe it's because of who God is. And it's because of what God had done for him. He had a glimpse like he had never had before in his life. He had a glimpse of who God is. He is the one who sits on the throne. He is the Lord Almighty. And because of what God did for him, God removed his sin. God atoned for his sin. So when this God said, who will go for us? He quickly said, here am I. Send me. Now the amazing thing about that is a few verses earlier, he was saying, woe is me. And now he's saying, send me. How do you explain that? I think this is the way you explain it. Listen, listen, listen. Here's how you explain it. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And when you understand what God has done for you, you want to do something for Him. Hey, that would have been a good place to put an amen. When you understand what God has done for you, you want to do something for Him. So Isaiah says, here am I. Send me. I don't know where you're sending me, but send me. I don't know what it is you want me to do, but I volunteer. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm ready. 
Here am I. Send me because I understand now who you are and I understand now what you've done for me. So whatever it is you need, here am I. Send me. When you understand who God really is, when you understand His holiness, and then you understand what He's done for you, it's quite natural to say, God, what can I do for you? Here am I. Send me. Now, I want to close in a very different way today. I want you, first of all, go in your Bibles to the left and find Psalm. Psalms. I want you to go to Psalm 99. Psalm 99. In Psalm 99, there are echoes of Isaiah 6. In Psalm 99, there are echoes of Isaiah 6. Three times in Isaiah 6, we see He is holy, holy, holy. And in Psalm 99, we see that as well, three times. I'm going to ask that nobody else be leaving or moving around. I'm going to ask that you stand in holy reverence. I'm going to ask that you have the Word of God in your hand, if you have it with you. Follow along carefully. I'm going to, I want you to have the freedom to say amen as I read this, as you seem appropriate. Psalm 99, the Lord reigns, let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim, let the earth shake. Great is the Lord in Zion, He is exalted over all the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name, He is holy. The King is mighty. He loves justice. You have established equity in Jacob. You have done what is just and right. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His footstool. He is holy. Moses and Aaron were among His priests. Samuel was among those who called on His name. They called on the Lord and He answered them. He spoke to them from the pillar of cloud and they kept His statutes and the decrees He gave them. Oh, Lord our God, you answered them. You were to Israel a forgiving God. Though you punished their, their misdeeds, exalt the Lord our God and worship at His holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. Thank you, Lord, that you are indeed different from us. You are holy, and we recognize we are not. And yet in our sinfulness, you've made a way that we could have a relationship with you through your Holy Son, the Lord Jesus, our sacrifice. God, I pray we would, we would respond to your holiness as you, by the, your Holy Spirit, direct us. In Jesus' name, every head still bowed, every eye still closed. Here's what I'm asking you to do today. I'm asking you to come to this altar if you need to respond to God's holiness, if there is something stirring within you and God is bringing conviction about something in your heart, something in your life, I'm asking you to come to this altar in repentance before a holy God and confessing that not to your pastor, confessing that to God. I'm going to ask you to just come and get on this altar. Or maybe you need to come today and say, you know, pastor, I, I'm very much aware of my sin, but I, I, I don't know how to have a relationship with the Holy God because I am so sinful. I am so undone. I'd love to introduce you to Jesus. He's the way that makes a relationship with the Holy God possible. 
Or maybe you, you just need to come and get on this altar and you just worship God. It's not that there's sin in your life. You just want to worship God because He is holy. He is different. He's not one of us. He's not better than us. He's different from us. But maybe you just want to come and get on the altar and just praise His holy name. Father, in the name of Jesus, you be honored, I pray. Amen.